Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, joined by my co-host, Daniel. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. And Henry. Say hi, Henry. How the hell are ya? <laughs> we got two familiar faces with us today, Mr. Howie Bentley and Mr. Matthew Knight of Cauldron Born. Gentlemen, how the hell y'all doing? Great. Doing good. Thanks. Well, let's just jump back in. Since last we spoke, obviously I know the answer to this question, but you guys released Legacy of Atlantean Kings. What has been the general reception? The album moving really well. Um, All the reviews have been really good. All the comments on uh, YouTube and so on. It's been a pretty good reception as far as I can tell. Awesome, awesome. Now, Howie, I've been itching to ask you this. We'll just jump in with this one because I'm genuinely curious. Legacy of Atlantean Kings is a re-recording of an album that you released in 2001. What was your reasoning behind that was there something with the initial recording that you weren't pleased with well there were a number of reasons yes that is the main one especially you know the drum sound and then we're working on a new album we've got the band is active again a new singer obviously matt he's here and so matt did all the vocals we we re-recorded most of the album and matt did the vocals replaced there was another singer on i originally released this collection of songs under the title and rome shall fall with underground symphony which brings me to the other reason that we've done this was the rights to press and Rome Shall Fall still belong to Underground Symphony, but I own the copyrights to the songs. So I re recorded the song. We re recorded the songs and released it under the uh, title of Legacy of Atlantean Kings with new artwork. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So uh, again, I'm sorry if I missed you, but what were your issues sound wise with the first album that you didn't like? Well, the drums, for one, and just the production in general, thought could be a lot better. And mm. I think we've uh, greatly improved that this time. And the vocals, uh, like I said, I like the vocal performance that Matt did uh, much more than the previous singer. That's pretty much it. I've told Howie this, but since I got you here and I can tell you to your face, you fucking destroyed this album to pieces, man. Like, it was a great performance. Just want to say good job. I'll insert like round of applause after this or something. Dude, are you kidding me? That testicle pinching screech right at the beginning. Holy crap, dude. Y'all got it. I'm sold. I haven't even... Like I recognized the name and I saw the albums releasing this stuff and I had I actually had one of them on my wish list on Bandcamp but uh, I was just sitting here kind of listening to the Legacy of Atlantean Kings while Justin was sitting rattling on about whatever the hell y'all are talking about <laughs> but then all of a sudden he's like Wah! and I was like oh here we go it felt like the is it the Memorex commercial and they just sit back in the chair it's like okay here we go because yeah I was fixing to do something like trying to be pretentious like so tell me what would be your inspiration so you know I really don't. Need to now i got it please carry on (laughs) cool man thank you thank you very much it's definitely uh, good to hear that you know because so much hard work goes into it yeah it's definitely good to be noticed thank you so i have to say my favorite song on the whole album has to be finder of the black stone it is absolute perfection i listened to that song justin the other day was like hey man have you listened to i was and i cut him off i said (laughs) 
This is the epitome of the best heavy metal, and I'm going to say heavy metal, whatever, I don't want to get into the genres, subgenres, but this is perfection, and the vocals, and the song building, the melody, it's perfect, and you guys have, I feel like this is the perfect time, I want to see another album, we have some semi-re-recordings of some things, some original new things, I need a continuation because it hurts my heart because you guys are fantastic. <laughs> Dude, I love thank the you. sound. I'm sorry to jump on you. Go, please. Oh, no, I was just saying thank you. Yeah, we have, a, we're working on a new album. I'm running behind. It's mainly me and the fact that I'm going to have to play bass guitar too. And I'm limited to how many hours a day I can play the guitar and bass, and bass guitar because I have some problems with inflammation right now. I'm trying to deal with, get that taken care of, but I have to be smart about it and limit myself too. Initially, we were going to have the bass player from Legacy of Atlantic Kings, the original called him Mormon bass player, Sean Cassick, but he got really busy with the in two or three different bands and runs a couple businesses and he just doesn't have time to devote to it right now so i uh, brought in the bass player from britain right then he tells me <laughs> he just can't be ready in time that i want him to record so i just decided to play the bass myself pretty much all on me i'm i'm the slow one here you know getting it but once i get this inflammation thing squared away i should be able to move faster and get it recorded but initially i'd said by the end of the year but it looks like it's going to be probably winter of 2022 before we get the album out and this is probably just pure naivete on my part but why so long i mean is it just have you done this enough where you realize just the logistics of getting people together or do you have label bullshit to deal with no i'm my own label yeah i got my own bullshit to deal with the problem. <laughs> um, i hear that no, uh, usually i'm just curious because like i do dungeon synth the black metal and so other than right. me being a perfectionist usually it's just like done done and done and i have an album done in like two weeks it's bam all right done and then we move on to that i was just curious that you know you you got a, a way long window here. I was just kind of curious as to what some of those issues might be. That's all. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking early next year, which we're coming up on next year as it is. I'm looking at at least since I have to play bass now and as slow as things have been going because of this inflammation problem I've been dealing with, it's probably going to be realistically this early December before I can record the guitar and bass track. And, and then we're looking at, you know, another couple months anyway to make and master and the other guitarist i've added another guitarist in the band which is alex para who also plays with paladin and sadistic ritual in atlanta and he brings Very his nice. mobile to my house from atlanta up here in rural up in the mountains in kentucky and he records me and by the time alex mixes and masters this thing and then i get it to duplication plant i'm looking at you know three four weeks as a conservative guest with the duplication plant we're looking at you know probably february march something like of next year to get it done it's an ultra fast window to release an album and this kind of stuff we do is you know as you guys have heard loaded with all kinds of all kinds of really involved music you know how he's arrangements the guitar things he does and and the music that he writes for everyone else is just really demands like some serious perfection that just takes some time to execute my vocals a lot of times I'll, I'll do these layers i'm like in the studio you know like composing these kind of choir bits that that i have to sing and and it's like it's all me you know like every single voice that i'm doing you know every day i'm sitting there with the keyboard just nailing it 
out and trying to get it perfect. It's just a time-consuming thing. But we finished the Legacy album in the spring. And now if we're talking about, you know, having this one ready by by wintertime, I think it's actually actually pretty quick. We're moving along. And uh, yeah, I agree, Howie. That's about the time frame, I would think, too. To really rephrase the deal, what I was talking about dealing with this inflammation in my wrists and forearms, my playing isn't up to my standard. That's really mm. the bottom line. And <laughs> with the limited hours that I can put into to it a day, it's going to take a little while before it's up to my standard to yeah. um, to record it. Henry, uh, sorry, Henry, I forgot your name for a second. <laughs> Henry, Henry just mentioned Finder of the Black Stone, which is also my favorite song on the album. Matt, was that song challenging for you because you're just soaring off on that one? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that one was challenging because the arrangement, it, it, it's, it's really chest heavy, heavy in the chest voice, whereas some of the other ones, like, for example, like by the sax, I rule, I'm wailing in the head voice, and then, you know, it's shifting a lot in, into this mixed kind of thing. But uh, yeah, Finder of the Blackstone, there's like this arrangement where it goes from the pre-chorus into like, or I'm sorry, like like the, the end of the verse into the pre-chorus where it ships like a whole octave. It sounded quite weird to me to, to move up into the head voice when I did that. Yeah, just belted it in the chest, and it, it, it definitely kind of brought a different sound than I usually do i think in the chorus in dragon throne uh, i did a similar thing and when i was in the studio doing it, i was like wow I, I don't i don't usually sound like this you know <laughs> it was like it was like a new thing and that that's part of the beauty of, of doing this and and being able to sing music that's written by somebody else because i mean i've always done my own thing and i've always sang my own music and you know you start from the very beginning of, of you know the initial idea and you you know what you want it to sound like and you're not being presented with this okay here's this piece do it kind of thing so uh, yeah sometimes it's a challenge just being you know approached with a piece you got to do and uh yeah you just do what you got to do but uh yeah thanks i'm really glad you like that one i do have to say that all the years of listening to cold and born uh you know it, it, i've always admired that song especially the subject matter you know mm. worms of the earth yeah, by robert e howard is yeah it's total classic it's just this dark sword and sorcery masterpiece you know i really feel that when i'm singing these songs i go back and i reread them because i'm because i'm singing the songs that are you know that they're based mm -hmm. on and i get get really into it so uh, yeah maybe there was something that came out there you know that you guys recognize thank you thank you for yeah. your compliments there that's something that we touched on last time you guys were here i think how you said that your previous singer was not even aware of who conan was so having met who's a nerd like us it just comes through on the album you know he's putting his heart into it because he knows what it's about right he's really steeped in the sword and sorcery like myself and he's you know for years been familiar with all of these classic tales and uh, the whole genre and uh, so i think he has a he feels it more so than another singer who's not and none of the other singers were familiar with this stuff and called her more and i've gone through a number of singers <laughs> and uh, none of them were really into this kind of thing so much but matt has i think there's a presence there in his voice because he connects with this on a deeper level mm -hmm. howie I, i'm kind of curious and this is kind of i don't mean to put howie examining matt by any means but this is what it is so Matt had his had his start. Matt, you were with Eternal Winter, if I remember correctly. Oh uh, yes, I, I still I still am. That, that's that's okay. my main my band. That that's my thing. You know, I, I've composed all the music for yeah Eternal gotcha. Winter. So so you've worked on vocals, guitars, keyboard. I'm sure mixing and everything else. So Howie, having that interjection injection, I should say, a Matthew knowing like he knows all these different aspects 
I'm sure that it had to be somewhat refreshing at the same time. I don't mean intimidating, but you're having to find that equal mix of, all right, this guy has, has done all of this before. I've done this before. Where do I find that happy medium? That's just a plus to me. I think I mentioned this on the last show we were on, that one of the, the cool things about Matt is he's a fantastic singer, but he's also you know a musician. He plays all these different instruments, and he has a background in music. He understands music theory, which is the mathematics of music. And a lot of singers will think they're singing a harmony, and they're off and whatnot a lot of times. And Matt's not. He's, he's dead on on all the harmonies and everything because he understands how chords are built because that's what a harmony is it's uh, stacking tones that go together and chords so he understands all this and that's just that's even better that i have someone who can do this now one thing too that really helps with that is the fact that howie is such an accomplished musician as well and as a composer he comes up with some really interesting stuff so when i'm attacking one of these songs i I listen to it and i I hear like okay i you know i sit it like i mentioned i do this a lot of times at the keyboard and i kind of because it's at the keyboard, the the entire you know spectrum of notes, the whole orchestra is right in front of you. It's not like a guitar, which is, which actually is my main instrument. Guitar is a bit more cryptic. The keyboard kind of like shows you everything. So I sit there and I figure out what, what I'm going to do with the vocals. But I, I listen to Howie a lot of times. There, sometimes I'll listen to the chordal movements within his guitar solos, and that will determine what I'll decide to do for some of some of the things that I come up with. How Howie writes a lot of the initial melodies and, and structures the songs completely including the vocals and then i kind of put my own spin on it yeah being able to have this knowledge of music theory and all that is great but then when you're teamed up with someone who also really has it together i think that's where things really shine a lot of times so it seems like there's kind of an organic component to this like how he is creating and and matthew it seems like you're connecting to that and you guys are naturally evolving the necessary music to and you'll have to excuse me because i'm ignorant on in terms of like harmony and etc but it, it, it seems like you guys are very much organically evolving the songs and reaching kind of that equilibrium where you're both like this is a natural point to where this song should be right yeah yeah that, that, yeah Accurate. Sorry, I've made that sound so more complicated than where it was. (laughs) It's just (laughs) you guys just say, "Hey, this is fantastic." I mean, Howie's like, "This is great," and Matt's like, "Here's my component." You guys are like, "This is fucking fantastic." In which, from the end point, I want more. I just need, I need to be fed more of this. So it's a collaboration. It's it's a slight collaboration because Howie is the mastermind behind Cauldron Born. Always has been. Always will be. But you know, you do as as I do the same thing in Eternal Winter. So I know what it's like to be working with other musicians that also, you know, that they understand, they get your vision and they can add to it in a positive way, which uh, it, it can happen in the exact opposite way, which, which is unfortunately, yeah, for us, it works out. How we know you also give guitar lessons. I'm just curious. I'm sorry if we're jumping around here, but say first day a student comes up, no experience, just got their guitar out the local pawn shop. Don't know how to pluck it. What's your first lesson? They have to uh, be able to overcome the strings before they can play the guitar. 
It's different than, say, a piano where the student can put their finger down and go ding and make a note. And with the guitar, they put their finger down and they pluck the string and it goes tonk. It doesn't make a note. So <laughs> the first thing they have to do is overcome the strings. And I start them with finger exercises to quickly build up the strength in their fingers so that they can get on the, you know, the. I try to get them to play music as quickly as possible. But there's generally, at first, there's no way to do that until they can at least hold the string down and make a note. Right. And as someone who's tried and attempted to start guitar several times and failed, I think getting to playing some of your favorite songs early is that driving force that'll keep people going, you know, once they can hear their own progress. Definitely. Yeah. And if I have any say in it beforehand, if somebody's talking to me about, well, I want to start learning guitar, but I don't have a guitar and they ask me my opinions, what should I get? We'll get an electric guitar, start an electric guitar, because most of the students, well, not most of them, but there are more students who start with the electric guitar and stay with the guitar than those who start on acoustic. And it's a, a common misconception that, uh, you know, especially if it's a kid, some parent will go get some crap, like you said at a pawn shop, they'll get some crappy guitar. You practically need a pair of channel locks to hold the strings down on the guitar and try to play it. <laughs> they want this kid, oh, now if you master this, we'll get you a, a good guitar. And if you don't, if you start off with that attitude they're going to get frustrated and they're just not going to want to fool with it anymore and that that happens all the time i see it yeah it's frustration sets in quick when it comes to instruments before we get too no deep doubt. into it because once we start talking about your book howie that's going to be it <laughs> I, matt i appreciate the uh cds you sent i want to talk about the haunted abbey mythos because daniel's here and when he hears oh, about sure. this, he's going to freak yeah. out that's you and john right john's the rimbo yeah that's correct that's essentially you guys is narration slash audio drama project have you always been interested really in, have you yeah have you always been interested in audio dramas yes absolutely um at a i got into that at quite a young age when i was very young like six or seven my mother would take me to the library and i would get audio books and cassettes and i was just into the fact that like you could you could listen to the books being read in this dramatic fashion i, I just i just always appeal it always appealed to me and then as in my early 20s i actually got a job working in the recorded books warehouse which is nearby here where i live and uh, i worked there for four or five years so i was kind of like all immersed in the audiobook thing and of course my band, uh, Eternal Winter, is very theatrical with uh, mm. the vocals, and I, I've always kind of, it, we, we do this storytelling kind of thing too, so I've always kind of incorporated these sort of little little passages, like like just dramatic narrations in the music. Yeah, I, I always have, have loved that. I just think it, I don't know, it just adds an extra element, you know, the fact somebody orally telling the story rather than just reading it. It's a totally different thing, really. But anyway, uh, yeah, I had read, I did an audiobook narration of The Beast of Avalon by Clark Ashton Smith. I did it, I do it in like a kind of a dramatic fashion with a lot of elements of my metal vocal approach kind of in there and uh, so it doesn't really sound like how I'm talking now to you guys I did a recording and when I met John and we became really good friends I actually appeared on his album he does this avant-garde electronic I don't even know how to how to explain it it's, it's <laughs> yeah. brilliant but uh, yeah I appeared on his album and I did kind of basically that I was playing the part of a character and and uh, it wasn't I did do some singing which is pretty wild, but um, for the most part, I was playing this character named Oberheim, 
And uh, it was a really great thing. Well, then we decided that it would be cool to do this project. And I had the narration of me doing Clark Ashton Smith. So I said, man, maybe we can revisit this, you know, and I can add some music and you can do your thing. And yeah, we did it and really, really got into it, really loved it. You know, people, I don't know what people really think about it. I think a lot of people don't get it. They don't. Um, but those that do get it, yeah, but those that do get it, you know, that's great. We don't really care because we love it. <laughs> uh, we went on to do it. We went on to do a second album called The Mountain of Souls. It was based on um, a gothic, a Spanish gothic tale by Pablo Adolfo Beque, I think is how you pronounce his name. But uh, it was the tale that those Blind Dead movies were based yeah, on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, about the undead Templar knights. And yeah, that record is fucking awesome i love i love listening to that one I mean, it's actually perfect for this time of year that's coming up it's a very halloween kind of poe-esque thing going on yeah basically the the project is is me doing my narration thing and john's brilliant horror movie kind of music happening over it yeah that's pretty much the gist of it <laughs> that is, that's my wheelhouse i've been doing stuff like that that's what i do Killer, I, write, man. I write Killer. up because i wanted to do music for movies and stuff but practice scoring because <laughs> i figured it helps since nobody cared about listening to death metal guitar or anything so i started you know, <laughs> learning orchestrations and then i just started doing my D stuff and so i'm i'm with you whenever just adding the narration and stuff and scripting it out like a like a movie for your mind i cool, love it cool. i'm totally in it i'm glad i found out about this i'm wishlisting this yeah man I, I'd, I'd love to hear your stuff man that's great where can we find this blind death because i i, I probably have <laughs> this is, i'm gonna buy it because I, that's kind of like uh, because i think uh, i don't know if it was uh, oh man maybe it was a mondo macabre someone put them out like yeah yeah uh, plus uh, years ago and i watched them i used to have the dvd and it's like all but rotted away like i can't play <laughs> it anymore but those are fantastic films and yeah, I, they I, really are. I need this. Are you asking me about the DVD or about our album? Your album. No, I have the DVD. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's uh, the best place to order from is our band camp. We have we have one. Um, those were released through my record label, which is, which is Majestic Metal Records. That's what all my Eternal Winter stuff is on as well. Yeah, we have it, and you can get we have it. It's on CD and, you know, the downloads and all. So, yeah, if you check out, just do a search on Bandcamp. For Haunted Abbey Mythos I'm is the uh, cool, and you can check it out. We also, I have to mention, I'm sorry, since we're talking about this, real quick, we did a, uh, and this is connected to Howie, we did a short, it's only on YouTube, it, it was like a Halloween thing last year, where we did like a um, a bit for Carnal, it's like a Haunted Abbey Mythos Carnal chapter, and that's on the YouTube. I, I can't give you like a URL <laughs> offhand or something, but if you search for it, yeah, it's on there, and that, that's really cool as well. It's, it's great because Blind Dead, it's a great series, and they're literally could be like a couple of black death slash heavy metal albums that could be made about that whole I think it's a trilogy right uh, no I think there's like five of them it, 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 it is a very it. cool theme yeah I didn't know about that but there's yeah I know there's I've seen like this collection it had like five of them I've only seen the, like the first two or three but I've only um seen the first three yeah, too, yeah so like yeah I think right. maybe they've made a couple of, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm definitely interested. So sorry, I'm being a fanboy and <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt, I'll recuse myself for a moment. No, that new one, I mean, it's, it's people shit on it, but I mean, look, it's a, 
it's called Curse of the Blind Dead, and I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. The worst thing about it is that the cover is misleading because you think it's going to be like this post-apocalyptic Mad Max style thing, and it's not, even though it kind of is. But aside from the typical bait and switch that the cover did, I thought the movie was pretty freaking cool. So, I mean, it's it's worth watching. Killer. Yeah, that's recent. Yeah, I'll recent check it out too. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I did a review on it. For yeah, the, you did. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was website. thinking of. Yeah. I, it, I did one of those cheeky snarky quick reviews because i didn't you know without doing any spoilers and stuff but seriously read the review and you should if you haven't already decided to watch it read the view and you probably will <laughs> if you're into that sort of <laughs> thing, seriously, cool, if you cool. like the first three watch it what have you got to lose you ain't doing anything <laughs> he can't say it matt but i've listened to your stuff and daniel's stuff and i can tell you that you will love it i'll link you after this daniel makes great sounds good man how i'll check it out thank you <laughs> howie you're here right sorry I am. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you before we dive into the book one of the songs on the new album Clontarf it's unlike the other songs it deals with the actual battle and it's not influenced by fiction so is that something we can expect of in the future you're going to have more songs influenced by historical events probably at some point right now the album that we're working on that I told you would be released we're hoping early next year deals with mostly stuff from my fiction or i should say our fiction because there's a karnov song on there too of course you know matt created the karnov he was driving force behind karnov he created the karnov character and a number of the initial character in the novel and so we have a, a song about karnov on the new album as well as we have some songs about argentir who's a barbarian swordsman who transforms into a werewolf and he there's some argentir tales uh, i think four in the snake man's bank no yes there is so we're doing that but at some point yes i I would say yes that we you know there'll probably be some because there are some historical figures you know some some ancient battles that i would like to write some songs about gotcha now just diving into the snake man's bane within a lot of your stories you incorporate runes a lot of norse and celtic mythology Mm -hmm. where would you say that your interest in those areas began Oh, as far as the mythologies or the runes or what? Yeah, just your interest in Celtic and Norse mythology specifically. Because you seem to reference Um, those a lot. Right when I was in grade school. I checked a book out of the library, uh, the school library, about Norse mythology. And I don't remember the title of it. I've searched for that book for years as an adult, and I've been unable to find it. It was a a book on Norse mythology. And there's an old painting in there. I can't remember the artist's name, but it's of Siegfried doing battle with the dragon. That picture is what inspired me to grow my hair long, even before I started listening to metal music. The idea was there that, you know, that was the ideal sort of image that this painting portrayed as far as a sword-wielding warrior. So I was impressed with Norse mythology at a very young age. And of course, later on, when I started reading Robert Howard and he made these references to Celtic mythology, picked up some books on that. So I've been, you know, interested in that since I was, I would say, nine, ten years old, something like that. Now that you can elaborate this on a, a bit more, we talked about it personally and it's been driving me nuts but you said you start out your fiction writing with a summary not necessarily an outline but now i've read your fiction and there's so many hints at a much larger complex world that it's hard for me to comprehend that you don't have an outline so do you world build separately and then you just sprinkle things in or is that all just off the cuff some of it's off the cuff some of it is i just sort of have it figured out in my head and go from there. The first story in the St. Man's Bane, the title story, is a story I wrote around the painting because the painting of that's 
used for the book cover was also used for Calderborn EP, Sword and Sorcery Heavy Metal. And mm-hmm. it depicts Thorn, the Calderborn mascot, who is the rune, the Thorn rune incarnate, the third rune in the Armanan rune row, as a physical being, almost this demonic type of warrior. That was also used for the Snake Man's Bane cover, and I wrote the story based on that cover, and then I tied in some elements because Argentier and Thorn cross paths. I brought Argentier in in the third or fourth Thorn story that I wrote. It was a story called The Heart of the Betrayer. Argentier, that's the origin of the mantle where Argentier kills a wizard, a cannibalistic wizard, and takes his, he has a mantle that enables the wearer to transform into a werewolf. So that started there. Anyway, I'm getting really deep in this. I'm almost <laughs> it's I'm almost about to lose, get away from what you initially asked. Did I answer your question or not? Yeah, yeah, you answered it completely. Okay. We both love werewolves. And I don't, people say, you know, they're cliche, but I call them classic. <laughs> so what's your first memory? What got you into the werewolf? What was, I'll say, your first uh, memory of the werewolf in fiction or film that got you hooked? My first memory of the werewolf was, well, I used to get Famous Monsters film land back when I was probably eight or nine years old and started picking those up. And it was like the only horror film magazine at the time. And I was really into, you know, monster movies, horror movies when I was a kid. And I'd see these pictures of Lon Chaney. And of course, you know, I grew up in in rural Kentucky. We had three television channels. And if I wanted to see a horror film, they showed these black and white horror films on, they called it Chiller. And then I think it became Thriller. It Mm. came on like 1130 12 o'clock, something like that on Saturday night. And I'd try to stay up and watch, but I didn't get to, you know, it, it was just a treat just to look at these pictures in these magazines. And I, I saw Lon Chain Jr. as the Wolfman. And then later on, you know, I never got access. I never got to see that movie until later on. But we used to have movies in uh, school, in grade school. And they would have a, you know, film projector. But they would show us excerpts from these horror movies. I guess they would have to, I don't know, cut out some of the... And, and the Universal movies weren't gory, but maybe still they had to cut out some part. But they would show us these excerpts and run all these films together, you know, in one session or whatever. But I saw that Wolfman. I was really impressed with that. There was also a book about like cancer being... I mean, go back to my school library again uh <laughs> when i was around that age and uh all you know i checked that out and read that thing so i've always had a an, an interest in lycanthropy and the and the werewolf just talking to you personally you seem to lean a bit more towards italian filmmaking you're a big fan of jean and what about those films catches your interest well yeah I'm, I'm more into euro horror type stuff and i think because these filmmakers these directors didn't have the budget that some of these hollywood guys did that they leaned more on creativity and there's some really weird stuff going on in some of these movies. Now, Jean Rollin, particularly, is he's a French director. I like Euro horror in general. I like French, Italian, Spanish horror movies. I like Paul Nashi a lot. You know, I mm-hmm. think we talked about him before. Oh, um, yes. Of course, a Spanish uh, actor direct, or director. He directed some of them too. But I like a lot of erotic vampire films and oh, hell yeah. John Rulin specialized in those that type of film 
and it was really different than the hammer horror films, which were much more traditional. They would use religion where they're throwing up a cross to ward off the vampire and that kind of stuff. And Jean Roland uh, was a totally different direction. You'd really just have to see one of the films. They're just really strange and off the wall. And uh, you'd have to see one to, to know what I'm talking about. I would assume you've seen the werewolf versus the vampire woman. Oh, yes. That's probably my favorite flashy <laughs> movie. Yes. So, arguably, one of the, as you agreed, one of the best. I think that might be the epitome of what you were kind of describing, that erotica slash horror. Like, it very much ingrained. It had that point of, it crossed so many parallels in terms of film genres that it was hard to describe. But I watched that the other day because I think in our uh, last interview, you had mentioned it. So I was like, I got to check it out. And I watched it and I was like, how he was right. There's nothing, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. So somebody brought it up last time. Anyway, it might've been Matt or it might've been me. I don't remember, but we, I do, I do remember us discussing that a werewolf versus a vampire woman, but I love all those nasty werewolf or wolf man movies. He's more a wolf man. I think of a werewolf as something big and monstrous that doesn't looks more like a wolf than a man, but you can tell it's supernatural, like in maybe the Howling or definitely in American Werewolf in London. But yeah. the wolf man, I think of as, you know, he's still kind of a man, but a, a wolf too, and which is like what Nash is, what his name Oliver Reed was in The Hammer. I can't remember. I think it was Curse of the Werewolf or yeah. something like that. And I think with Nashy, I think still to this day, I think there's a lot of horror fans that are still kind of struggling. With Nashy, they're like, it's like, you have to check him out. He is the perfect Euro trash slash horror director. And there's another group that's like, eh, there's plenty of others I need to worry about before I get to him. But Nashy, Nashy is kind of the unsung hero in a lot of ways. And I hope that, I hope people are going to one day realize that he he was more than simple uh, i hate to boil it down but blood tits and beasts so yeah but it's horror so i mean that is kind of what you want you certainly knew you, were, you knew what you were getting when you press play i'm tired of these people complaining about that it's like yeah fuck you knew what you were doing oh yeah but but but, but nash had a style I mean, there was something about his films, like you watched them and you're like, I don't feel nearly as dirty. Oh, yeah, they're freaking <laughs> awesome. That's what I'm saying. But like, look, I don't sit there and go, no, you knew what no, you were getting into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you don't watch. Uh, there's plenty of films. You don't watch the Japanese uh, school of the holy of the holy beast. There's some films you're like, I know what I'm getting into. I'm watching. I'm watching horror and tits. Yeah, I'm watching but, showgirls for the character exposition. Okay, yeah. sure, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but you get in some films, you're like, man, these guys actually took a little bit of time to. They knew what they were doing, if even if they were kind of exploiting. So, anyways, touched on an interesting conversation, Howie. Uh, the Wolfman versus the Werewolf. That's something that's not really discussed a lot, but there is a distinction there. The bestial versus your typical wolfman. Well, I think some of the uh, werewolf, too, is closer to the lore of the lycanthrope, whereas Lon Chaney Jr.'s portrayal of wolfman, I think that might be the oldest. There might be a film that was made before that one, but I think they, they did what they had to do with at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's why it looked that way, but it kind of became a staple in horror films to have a wolfman like that, as opposed to a, you know, full-blown, what I conceive, consider a full-blown werewolf. Right. My money, the best, coolest werewolf that I have seen on screen has been that TV show 
werewolf. There is something about those werewolf designs. It, they're sleek. There's almost like the way that he just did the ears back and stuff. It's a very comic look to it. I mean, I was a fan of the Benicio Del Toro flick when they redid the, what was it called? Wolfman or whatever. The very, uh, cool, yeah, what, yeah, is yeah. It, what is it polarizing nowadays? But I actually enjoyed that. But yeah, when you talk about the Wolfman, yeah, you ain't got that it's like as far as my favorite screen depiction of a werewolf would have to be from that tv series werewolf they just look so freaking cool practical effects and still with that analog fuzz because all you can find now are old vhs rips of it on the pirate bay it's like the only way you can watch it so that's a whole nother conversation about copyright law and <laughs> but regardless kids go out there i'm not advocating piracy but go find werewolf and watch it because those are some seriously cool effects i have not seen werewolf but i've heard people championing the the werewolves themselves and i'm looking at images and yeah yeah it's those one some- season and it's basically the incredible hulk only cooler because it's got werewolves it's this dude who he hulks out just like the incredible hulk but only he's got like a pentagram on his hand and stuff the transformation is very much it's perfect like you could put it insert silver bullet anything else it rivals just about all of them in terms of that physical transformation to human to beast better than the hulk was by any means no that's nothing against because if lou ferrigno comes bashing through my door henry i'm sending him your way and telling him what you said (laughs) (laughs) that's fine because yeah that body transformation is incredible impeccable pardon the pun (laughs) no i met (laughs) okay hey matt you still there (laughs) sorry (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) well earlier we talked about you and john's project are you guys working on anything any more narrations possibly i'd love to you know i'm up for that at any time i've always got a whole lot of different projects happening cool cool <laughs> yeah i i'd love to continue and and do more stuff john's told me he's got a whole lot of material you know on the back burner and and i'm up for doing anything so yeah I, I'd, I'd love to continue and do more of that for sure now how we i told you i just finished the snake man's banes are there any more thorn or argentier stories out there that are not contained in this book that i could purchase there are are a couple of thorn stories when i first started writing there was a gentleman who was editing a couple of anthologies for horrified press and uh, matt was in on i don't know if both of them or maybe one of them as well uh yeah uh, they, well they kind of they screwed that up and it was supposed to be <laughs> it was i was supposed to be in both of them but they put my one story in the other one so the one that's called barbarian crowns i have three stories and yeah. Okay. I got one in each. Yeah. That that was the deal. I remember that now, Matt. You were supposed to have yeah. stories in Barbarian Crowns as well as Devil's Armory, but they ended up putting them all in Barbarian Crowns. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, the Thorn Swords. I have one in Barbarian Crowns. I have one in in Devil's Armory. With those were they were early stories. I don't really. I mean, if somebody wants to read them, if somebody really likes the Thorn Swords a lot. I would recommend they re- them read them, but they definitely aren't the best of my writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, Most of the people who follow my writing or, or take it up with my writing tend to prefer the Argentier stories. And I am working on an Argentier novel, but since I've gotten back involved with music, it may be some time bef- before I finish that. But no, as far as Thorn stories, there are, there are no other Argentier stories published as of now other than those in the Snake Man's Bane. And as far as Thorn stories, there's one in the Barbarian Crowns and one in the Devil's Armor. And I think that's uh, all regarding uh, Thorn and Argon. Forgive me because I'm terrible with names. I cannot recall 
I should have written it down the specific story, but it's the Argentier story that involves the giant in the tower when they're basically the tournament, the fake tournament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was probably my favorite. Get. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank you. a lot of uh, a lot of guys liked that one. A lot of guys who weren't even that was initially published in Swords of Steel. DMR Books puts out or did three volumes of a uh, series called Swords of Steel. And they're sword and sorcery stories by uh, heavy metal musicians. Mm-hmm. And that was in the third volume. And a lot of metal guys, you know, obviously picked this up because they're fans of the band. But a lot of guys who aren't metal fans really like that story, too. The Thin House of Fears get when you just. You just yeah. Is there any we have more... a song about that one? On, oh, uh, yeah, we, to... we have a song on yeah. a new album about that. Oh, I just sang it. <laughs> wow. Cool. Is there any more backstory with the giant there, or is it just a one-off? That's a one-off. Okay. Unfortunate. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and really, I like, I was just thinking about this the other day. I, with the limited time I have for reading, and, and I've had none for writing lately, but even just to read a little bit, I prefer short stories. That's one of the reasons I love pulp sword and sorcery so much, is I like a story I can read in one or two sittings. Because I might read on two nights, two adjacent nights, but after that, I might get involved in something else and mm-hmm. and not even think about going back to the book for a while. So it's e- it's just easier for me to be able to uh, read something that I can finish mm-hmm. in an evening or two. God, a man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> just like Daniel said, when you got your high and your epic fantasy, yeah, I love the stuff, but I'm not going to sit here and read 1,200 pages. And that's kind of what Sword and Sorcery provides. You know, I can sit here and there's a whole bunch of cool world building packed into this little nugget and I can just sit and stew on it. Yeah, exactly. Some of the some of the best stuff, the stuff that Robert E. Howard wrote, Clark Ashton Smith, Henry Kuttner, all those guys wrote novelettes or novellas. Howard, for instance, only wrote one Conan novel, which was Hour of the Drag. And there were tons of pastiche, but that was the only one by him. You guys keep referencing the new album. Like, what do you want to drop about it? You got anything that you can tell us? Not ready to reveal the title of the album yet. Just that there are four Argentier songs that I plan on, we plan on opening the album with. And there's a Karnov song on there. And, uh, oh, and you mentioned those other Thorn stories. There's one of them in reference to the story in Barbarian Crowns, which is called Mask of the God Hunters, the name of the story, as well as the song. Most of the uh, songs are titled after the stories. Same time. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And, uh, you know, to describe the style of it, I I can't really, you know, give you as far as a theme to the overall style of the music. I can't really, I'm too close to tell you anything. Matt might be able to better articulate that than my than me. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, one thing I can say is that being so into how he's writing, you guys are like going to lose it when you hear these songs because he did an excellent job of translating his incredible stories to, to music so these songs really really kick ass and i gotta say i've been well immersed in all the cauldron born stuff you know since the since the very beginning of the discography and um I, this is it's different i think each one has been a different chapter i don't think cauldron born really has like a definitive style i mean you could say you know u.s power metal whatever it's always evolving and and, and i i think that's how it should be you don't want to you know do the same thing all the time so right. i think the new record is just epic sword and sorcery kicking ass metal i you know <laughs> i don't i can't say i, I yeah oh. i can't say that 
it, it has the elements of legacy of Atlantean kings, but at the same time, it's a whole different animal. Yeah, just pushing the boundaries and, you know, taking it further. Well said. Just a couple more here before we wrap up here, gentlemen. Matt, are you working on any fiction? Uh, yeah, I just submitted a tale um, that I've had on the back burner for a little while. One of the big pulp magazines. Hopefully that comes out here soon. We'll see. Aside from that, I have a couple of things in mind that I'd like to write soon, but I've been very immersed in, in a lot of musical projects lately. Once once I get those out there and I have a little bit of downtime, I'll uh, sit down and uh, hammer those out. Awesome. And Howie, you got all this stuff going on. Just curious, where does Britain Wright stand on your hierarchy of importance? Like Anything down the pipeline eventually for that project? Well, you know, we were discussing horror films earlier, and this time of year, you know, next month's October, and a lot, and I never was, I'm not structured about this like some other people watch a horror film every day or whatever. Yeah. Like it's, you know, if it becomes too much of a chore. So I feel, but I do tend to watch more uh, movies. I don't do it with any kind of schedule or anything, but around this time of year, I start, you know, when autumn starts setting in is Halloween season and so I'm watching uh, I've been revisiting those uh, genre Lin movies as I told you we've mm -hmm. been chatting about before and uh, that had me thinking about doing doing Brent Wright's music I felt inspired to, to get out the old carbon that's tuned down and uh, and do some riffs but I'm so busy with Calderon Bourne right now and that that's just such a priority that uh, maybe I'll, I'll translate that drive into writing some fiction, a, a short story or two mm -hmm. or whatever, and get back to Britain rights when I can. I'd love to do it, but I think Calderon Bourne is probably has more of a following and there are more people wanting that stuff right now. And, and, and me wanting, you know, that makes me want to do it because uh, people are interested in it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's the really the priority right now. Before we go, you guys can just, well, how you can take the time to tell people where they can buy this kick-ass metal we've been talking about in this fiction that you've written. Legacy of Atlantean Kings or all the Calder Moore back catalog uh, is available at Echoes of, well, not all of it, echoesofcrimerecords.com. Most of it's available on Bandcamp. Just type in Calder Moore and search in Bandcamp. And it's also on Bandcamp. I'm going to be planning on doing a crowdfunding for the, the new album. So... If anyone's interested, go there and like or follow our Calder Moore and Bandcamp page to get details on that. As far as my fiction, it's available uh, on Amazon, The Snake Man's Bane is. It's also available at echoesofcrom.com. If you want a signed copy, you can get go to echoesofcrom.com and just make sure you drop me a line, leave me a note, and let me know you want it signed. You can also do that on the Calderon Born Bandcamp page. You can get a signed copy because you can send me a note and tell me you know, who to make it to, sign it to, and uh, I'll certainly do that. Awesome. Last thing, uh, Matt, sorry. I know you guys just released, the Eternal Winter released their recent album at the end of last year. Any rumblings on anything coming up for you guys? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I have an entire new album already written. Um, I've had it on the back burner for quite some time. And after I uh, wrap up things, what what I'm doing, the, the new Cold Born album, some other projects I have, I'll dive into that and I'll continue doing everything else I'm doing simultaneously. And yeah, we'll, we'll have a new album here uh, coming up soon. 
before because I'm going to jump in. And if anybody listened to a couple of episodes I was on last year with those horribly pretentious and yet I feel a very important lists, uh, albums of the year and favorite things of the year, I could not stop talking about Karnak. And come to find out, I have two out of three of the authors that's been in this podcast. It just finally clicked. I was like, wait a minute, they were talking about Karnov, and they're not talking about the Nintendo. <laughs> Y'all were actually talking about the book, Karnov, that I freaking love. Oh, my God, I have not had so much fun reading a book in so long. I love that book. Holy crap. That was like one that is one of my favorite books of all time. So if you anyone listening to this, you need to go and get Karnov phantom clad rider of the cosmic ice it sounds like a ball sega <laughs> title because it is a ball sega title and believe it what a coincidence ball sega singer actually wrote some of it too along with these other two fine gentlemen you need to read this book anyway thank you Dan. all right that is available on amazon uh as well Carnov, phantom clad rider of the cosmic ice just search for that title or uh and it'll say matthew knight as the primary author on there and uh, you can pick that up as well like you said earlier there will be a Carnov song on the new cauldron born album correct there will be a Carnov song yeah that's likely going to be the closer of the album oh yeah that's a great one well gentlemen it's been lovely talking to you again i'm sure we'll do this again yeah it's been awesome it was cool just hearing y'all prattle good. on about the music man that was awesome it's nice meeting y'all no always great talking to you guys good meeting you too man. yeah good meeting you too and uh thanks for having us on we really appreciate the support awesome you guys have a great night all right talk all to right you. you too welcome to the night you think you know night demon then the night demon heavy metal podcast is for you step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon Crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.